Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and one of the top 12 Wolves correspondents in the whole of Europe, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. There she goes with the banter. It's very topical, very good. Well, on that note, what is Wolverhampton Wanderers' stance on the proposed breakaway and would they have accepted an invitation had they been in that position? Tim will explain the club's view. On the pitch, another 1-0 win, another clean sheet. William Jose's goal stands this time. Triori the train contributes again. Semedo shines and Wolves are sitting smugly, arms crossed on top of the 40-point mountain. So now they can relax and experiment, right? Or is that not the new no way? Does it matter whether or not they're fun to watch? They have Burnley up next, live on BBC One. We'll discuss it all with Tim and later on his Burnley counterpart from The Athletic, Andy Jones. To read all the fine writing and analysis The Athletic has to offer, you can subscribe for a 40% discount for six months by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolvespod. That's where you'll find all of Tim's exceptional Wolves articles, which you can read during the matches if you find it rather more entertaining. How are you, Tim? Good. I am good. Thank you very much. How are you? How was your holiday? Oh, refreshed. Honestly, walking in the Peak District is just a wonderful way of saying to our a bit to a year plus of not really being able to get out and about very much. But honestly, you know, it's an hour and a half from Wolverhampton, if that to Bakewell and the here she goes with a bit with the big cell here we go honestly I'd like to work for the Peak District Tourist Board if they have such a thing I don't know it's just stunning it's just there between Sheffield Chesterfield and Stockport and how many people actually go there when it's right on their doorstep I do wonder everyone talks about Cornwall and the Lake District but they don't talk about the Peak District much do they it's just stunning I find the best place to go to get away and forget the last year is the bottom of a pint of cider um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it's been a great week in the beer gardens. Nice bit You've enjoyed it? I have, I have, yeah. How many bookings different... did you make? Oh my goodness, four or five. Did and you? A, f- a few walk-ins as well. Yeah, yeah, some places just aren't booking. Some places aren't even open. It's a logistical nightmare. It's difficult to know what to wear though, because when the sun goes down at seven, half seven, it was very chilly in mid-April and it's, uh, it's it's been a fantastic week. I've actually enjoyed being hungover. It's been um, <laughs> such a novelty. I didn't mind it at all. Oh, it's good. We did a big Box Hill walk yesterday and then ended up in a really nice Smith & Western type pub uh, restaurant afterwards. 13 months off doing it last time and just took lots of layers, but the sun was out and it was just gorgeous. And... It's just nice to feel a bit human again, isn't it? Well said, Bab. So let's start the pod with the hugely controversial news which was announced on Sunday night about the proposed European Super League involving the so-called dirty dozen of European clubs, not including German and French clubs, but involving six from England. So what do Wolves make of it all? How could it affect them and their finances if those clubs are expelled from the Premier League? And would they have agreed to be part of it if they were in a position to be asked. Nice, simple one there for you, Tim. Could you please tell us the answer to all those questions, kindly? Uh, I mean, obviously, all 14 clubs not involved in this are going to be vehemently opposed to it. Basically, the death knell for English football if this goes through. 
obviously Premier League without those six clubs becomes far, far less profitable and marketable. And Wolves are no different, really, in terms of their opposition to it. You know, from speaking to people at the club today, they are steadfast in their opposition to it and kind of getting a sense from them that they came into English football, you know, in 2016, you know, to respect the traditions of the English game. And, and this is this is completely ripping it apart. So, yeah, they plan to voice their disappointment, certainly. Um, there's a meeting on... Um, on Tuesday of the other 14 Premier League clubs and you know they're looking forward to those discussions and hopefully finding a, a positive way forward and from what I understand even if Wolves were invited you know such as their opposition to this they would decline due to the respect the, sorry the disrespect that it's kind of showing to the well the traditions of football full stop but also English football and the fact that the league wouldn't be a proper competition wouldn't have wouldn't have a competitive nature to it. In fact, there's no relegation, etc. So they've they've got no interest in that, and um, they've got no interest in it happening. I mean, obviously, when 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 they bought the club, they had ambitions of making it one of the biggest and best in England and Champions League qualification and all that comes with that. So the formation of a Super League ends that dream effectively for clubs like Wolves, Leicester, West Ham, Leeds, Villa and all the rest of them and also severely diminishes the, the the financial value of the Premier League as well and the clubs within it so it's no surprise that Wolves are opposed to it Nuno's spoken about it in the past I think he brought it up in January and said sort of predicted really that, that the pandemic could be the opportunity that um, that clubs look to bring this in I just got it he said this is my biggest fear he said in January he said if you have a crisis the strong will survive, but what happens to the rest? Which sounds, you know, wise words now. I mean, it's obviously everybody knows, I'm sure everybody listening to this agrees that it's just absolutely ludicrous, but just to point out that Wolves have beaten these top six teams on 12 occasions since earning promotion to the Premier League. Obviously, they finished seventh behind these six teams in 2018-19. The whole thing is ludicrous in my eyes. You know, these, these big clubs, you know, ninth, Arsenal are ninth in the league, Spurs have won. The Wolves have beaten them twice this season. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And Spurs, who they've beaten away for two years running, have won two League Cups since 1991. And nothing else, you know, Portsmouth and Wigan have won an FA Cup since then. And uh, Blackburn, Ipswich, Derby, Nottingham Forest have won the league since Spurs won the league in 1961. So in discussing this, it's important to differentiate between owners and clubs it's not clubs that are forcing this it's 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 the owners that run them that are doing it but obviously you, you you get kind of people at the top of the football tree talking about fans and traditions and representing their communities and we know that they don't really care about things like that but now we know for sure you know it's there in black and white that it's all about money and they don't even care about equal competition we'll see what happens in in the coming in the coming weeks and months lots more to come from this story but yeah no surprise that that wolves are completely opposed to it People can debate amongst themselves whether or not they really believe that Wolves would have been in favour had they been, say, in Manchester City's position in the league, for example. That That's kind of irrelevant, really. I mean, the main issue for Wolves now and the other clubs in the league is how the potential loss of TV revenue could affect them because that's what's being talked about now, isn't it? The broadcasters wanting a rebate on their funds if those so-called top six clubs aren't in it and therefore is there less money to go around? That's more pressing and relevant to clubs such as Wolves. Yeah, absolutely, especially in a pandemic as well. It becomes even more relevant. And um, I'm interested to hear what the club you know, might have to say on this, you know, they, they may feel strongly enough to put out a statement at some point this week after this meeting is held. Um, very interested to hear Nuno's thoughts on Friday. You know, like I said, we've already heard his opposition to it and um, he's pretty much 
Burnley presser on Friday will be interesting. And I think it's really important that, that people in the game speak out on this. You know, it's not it's not enough for fans of media. It's well, certainly not enough for fans of media to, to voice their opposition. And, um, you know, we're recording this on Monday. I'm very interested to hear what Jurgen Klopp's got to say on Monday night um, after he's previously voiced his opposition. And, yeah, like I said, Nuno. And good to see Daniel Pedence tweeting about it today, sharing some of his favourite memories of the Champions League and then saying at the end, there are some things we, we just can't really pay for. Basically, which I thought was 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 a great way to to put it, and sounds like it's actually the words of him rather than a social media team, as you often get with uh, with footballers these days, because he's very lively on Instagram, as people know. Pedence. So yeah, very important for people to speak out on this. I'm sure Nuno will, and we'll see if we'll say something officially as well. And I just have a feeling that fans, particularly the likes of Liverpool, because they can be very vocal on such matters just wonder how much of a say they might have because I just have a feeling that they will not stand for this. Yeah, well, the, well, there's, well James Pearce, my colleague, has done a story today saying all the all the banners have been taken out of the cop, you know, at the, the fans' request, or that's what they've requested them to do. Um, I'd also point everybody, once, once you've finished listening to the Molyneux View, of course, but I heard the Ornstein and Chapman podcast on this today with with Don Fifield and um, Adam Crafton they lay out the issues perfectly and it's a great debate and a great analysis and um, obviously I'm biased but the Athletics put out some phenomenal coverage today already and there's lots more to come. Now Tim the other huge story is Jose Mourinho leaving Spurs of course I mean I feel sorry for anybody who works in football who tried to take a day off today notably the the head of media at Wolves who's who's a good egg at the best of times but he'll have had plenty on his plate but I mean there was a national newspaper report recently linking Nuno with the Spurs job when Jose was seemingly perfectly ensconced in it so now in the light of that news there are a lot of Wolves fans asking about that link now this was Nuno's answer in his pre-match press conference on Friday when he was asked about whether he'd still be at Molyneux next season. There's no, no nothing to, to talk about. I have a contract. We have a, a huge game tomorrow for us. It's day by day. Now Tim, I know you say that Nuno says this sort of thing on a regular basis, but when I was listening to it, I was thinking it was quite strong that he just said I have a contract and we have a game to focus on because normally managers give that answer when there is something going on. And I'm not trying to stoke anything up, but for neutrals listening, that is the sort of answer you get when perhaps all isn't well. What would you say? I didn't think anything of it at all when he said it, to be honest, because he's done exactly the same in the past. He's been linked with Everton in the Championship days, strongly linked with Arsenal when he was nowhere near that job after Unai Emery left the club. He doesn't want to get into it. You won't get a firm denial from him, but you certainly won't say he's leaving either. And he doesn't like giving away headlines for for no reason. So um, not surprised to hear that that uh, that response at all. Yeah, totally understand that. But he says we go day by day, which seems a bit of an unusual response. Yeah, but he says that with everything. If you're talking about what, what did you have for your breakfast this morning or, or where a wall's going to be in five years' time, he says day by day, game by game. He doesn't play the media game. He sort of plays it by not playing it in a way. You know, he doesn't give the opposition anything before a game. Um, he's very careful about which players he talks up and which he doesn't um, from his squad. He'll never talk about transfers and he'll never he'll never talk about the prospects of him leaving. I don't sense any waning in his commitment at all. He started talking about next season already, which is unusual for him because he is day by day, game by game. He has started referencing next season. I think the, probably the big, most pertinent point to make here is I, I, I can't see Spurs wanting to appoint Nuno as their as their new head coach or manager. You know, going into going into a Super League potentially or or, or whatever it is 
that they're that they're in next season. I'd imagine they want someone who, who's going to end their trophy drought and make them a top top team again. And Nuno hasn't got a history of doing that, so I'd, I'd be amazed if he was their number one choice. And I think the only way that Nuno would ever leave Wolves for a club like Spurs is if he was their number one choice. And they made a massive effort to get him and promised him lots of resources and he could take all his coaching staff and everything with it. So, uh, yeah, it's just a non-starter for me. But never mind Spurs. You see Nuno's commitment and the club's commitment to him as being as strong as ever, do you? I've just not noticed any change at all, you know, despite this indifferent average season. The ambitions remain high and Nuno's commitment is still there for me. I haven't noticed any difference. So, um, you know, all these things can change from day to day, as Nuno might say. But um, for the for the time being, I, I certainly wouldn't be concerned about him leaving. Listening to the Molyneux View from The Athletic with me, Jackie Oatley, and The Athletic's Wolves reporter, Tim Spears. Back-to-back wins and clean sheets, but the fan base reaction, Tim, very much split between those focusing on the so-called boring, dull performances and those focusing on the decent results against the odds, including injuries, etc. Ross Coburn at Dwarfio said... Going to have to apologise to Mrs Brown's boys. No longer the worst thing I've ever seen on primetime Saturday night TV. Wow. And then Ian Powell says, a bigger injury list than emergency ward 10 and we're about six points below where a neutral would expect us to be. Of course we all want better performances, but it's as it's been this season, see us all there. It's hardly what? a disaster Hang some on. are claiming, what? given the circumstances. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Since you told me off for saying blue-bottomed flies, <laughs> blue-bottomed fly, I realised I've been a bit head girl. So that's two sides of the story. Where do you stand? I think it's okay to think both, really. And as as boring as it as it sounds, and I'm not sitting on the fence. I, I sort of do think both. I didn't enjoy the win over Sheffield United. Do you know? I, I completely sort of disengaged with the game, to be honest. And I started messing around on Twitter and asking people to send me pictures of of themselves in beer gardens. And asking what asking what they'd had for dinner, and I, I love all that engagement. That was great. I just, I know, you know, it's not great for a, for a journalist, but I just completely disengaged with the game. I switched off. I was like, I've seen this so many times this season. Um, I saw it last week against Fulham as well. But at the end of the day, um, to use that classic football cliche, they've they've got the job done. And um, I, as I told you yesterday, when we had a little chat about the podcast, I was shocked to find that looking at the Premier League form table since the win over Arsenal, that bonkers win over nine-man Arsenal in early February, since then, Wolves are fifth in the Premier League table over, I think it's 10 or 11 games. They're fifth in the form table behind Man United, Man City, Chelsea and West Ham, Um, which I find crazy. I was blown away by that because it doesn't feel like that. But I think what you've got to say is full credit to Nuno for, and bearing in mind that form table starts shortly after the West Brom um, debacle um, that he's that he's, he's he's managed to earn the string of results that's kept them in the league and um, has got them looking up the table. The the game itself it just summed up Wolves' season for me. They struggled to score, which reflects the fact that they've scored thirty two in thirty two this season. It wasn't very entertaining, particularly the first half. And fans want to see more from the team. 
ultimately though, like I said, they got the job done. We've given them a lot of stick for being dull this season, but there's a lot to be said in this most trying of campaigns for just getting the job done. And if you want a manager to oversee a couple of dour but important 1-0 wins in a row, then then Nuno's your man. Dour 1-0 wins in a row when necessary, not always going forward. That's what people wanting to eke out. You're talking about just to get a job done, as in to see Wolves mm. over the line this season with yeah. the horrendous yes. injury list, which has obviously just got a whole lot worse, which we'll come on to shortly. But in terms of the 32 goals from 32 games, that's fewer even than Crystal Palace. And they're known for not scoring goals or particularly entertaining. And they have a game in hand. It's seven fewer than Southampton, who also have a game in hand. It's three fewer than Newcastle United. And it's even fewer than Brighton, who everyone's been saying all season, A, might go down, and B, they just can't score. They've scored fewer goals than Brighton, who can't score. And it's only Burnley, who they play next, that they've scored more than, and the bottom three. That's it. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been the issue all season long. They just haven't replaced him and his goals, or Jotters or Doherty's, really, from, from last season. I mean, Doherty scored 15 in all comps over two seasons. Jota scored a hell of a lot, as we know, and Jimenez scored 17 last season, and they just haven't replaced those goals. What they have done, you know, talking of, of what they've done in the last sort of two, three months, is they have sorted out the defence, and since that Albion atrocity, they've conceded 12 in 13, which is much better. And in fact, you take away games that involve playing Man City away, they've conceded eight in the last 12. I think they've got six clean sheets in that time, so that's much better, and that, that's that's what they've needed to do. I think in January, most fans would have taken this, to be honest. You know, they were heading down the table. They were losing to Albion. They were having one shot on target against bloody Chorley in the FA Cup. You know, they were in a really bad state at that time. I think most fans would have taken 12th with six games to go, guaranteed safety with six games to go, and sort of looking at the table at an unlikely top-half finish, you know, if they do manage to put a run together. Nuno's got um, more stick in the last few months than he has in, the, in during the rest of his tenure combined. So for him to oversee that upturn of results, um, like I said, I think that's full credit to him. And this crucial situation of needing to plan for next season, which is what it's all about this season now, fortunately, is effectively over in terms of any slight relegation fears. Some people weren't ever concerned. Some people were getting increasingly concerned. But the fact that back-to-back wins have now put that to bed means that they can categorically plan for next season. And you mentioned in your article that they haven't even had a meeting about transfer budgets because relegation wasn't necessarily sorted. Not that it technically is, but it effectively is. Yeah, the, the big summer planning where you know they identify what, what positions and, and who's going to stay and who's going to go and what they're going to do. It's too early for that and, and almost every club would say the same. What I like about the current situation is that in the past two seasons, they've been fighting for Europe right to the end of the campaign. You know, in the first Premier League season, they had to wait for the FA Cup final to decide if they were going to be in Europe or not. And last season, as we know, it went right to the wire on the last day um, at Chelsea away. So this time around, they know exactly where they're going to be next season and they can start planning ahead from April onwards, which is great and uh, and a luxury they haven't had in the past. So hopefully they can get some early signings in this summer. The Euros makes it more difficult, but um, but that's certainly what they'll be, they'll be planning to do. As we've seen this season, they've got a great first 11 in my mind. That, that first 11 is good enough to challenge for Europe. And it's been good enough to challenge for Europe the last two seasons because they've only really needed the first 11 the last couple of seasons. Nuno's been able to name the same team you know, m- more often than not over the last two seasons. What we've seen this season is the squad, once they've had injury issues, the squad hasn't been good enough to challenge for Europe. 
I do think the squad has, has, has improved from last season, but I still don't think it's, it's there. So that's the challenge for the summer, really. I know a lot of these younger players will kick on. People like Silva, Ain't Nori, Keanu Hoover, who I think has got a massive future. And then you look at someone like Semedo as well. I do think these players will improve next season and hopefully you get a fit Marcel as well. And then your squad does look better. Um, but they do need a, you know, a small number of very shrewd additions. Um, and hopefully they'll be sort of back to normal next season, which is which is how, how I think they will be with fans back and Jimenez back and most of the players back. I do, I do kind of sense that things will get back to normal. They've just had to get through this year. Talk about back to normal, but what we don't know is whether that's a back four or a back three. I mean, some Wolves fans not too happy when they saw the team sheet, which is probably not unusual, but, you know, three at the back. Bolly being back was, you know, a real bonus. Uh, Matinho and Dendonka in the centre with Neves being absent. And Pedence and Triori supporting Willian Jose. Some fans feeling that was quite negative, bearing in mind it was against a side who scored 17 goals all season and are absolutely on their backsides in terms of confidence levels and just knowing they can't score. And do you think there was a lack of ambition in that lineup, or do you think it made sense? I just think he wanted to put his best team out to get the points and 3-4-3 was going to give him that solid base. You know, he, he won't talk about the table. He never talks about the table. He never talks about how many points they've got. But I, I think he just wanted to get to 40 points to guarantee safety. And now he's done that, there's there's hopefully the chance for some experimentation to come in the next few weeks, starting with this Burnley game on, on Sunday, which which is the most obvious game to experiment, given you've got Albion the week after, and then three difficult-looking fixtures to finish. And now that they've done that, now they've gone out of the way, then hopefully we can see the likes of like Bettina and, and, and Silva and Gibbs-White you know, and Hoover get, get more minutes in the last few weeks of the season. Is that the new no way? A lot of fans calling for Vitinho and Gibbs-White. And I think that was the, the disappointment level. There wasn't sort of anything fresh or different. Pedence is still not up to speed, but I guess maybe he needs minutes to get up to speed. But fans kind of thinking maybe Matinho could have been substituted with either Vitinho or Gibbs-White. Were you surprised by that? No, because they were only 1-0 one, one up. Nuno's way, as we know, is to keep a clean sheet first and foremost. And 1-0's fine in his book. But if you bring on Gibbs White or Vitinha in central midfield where we've not seen them all season long, then suddenly you've got a, a question mark over over the defensive capabilities of one of your midfielders. So I, no, I'm not surprised at all that he didn't do that. Um, but we, we don't know what, what he's what he's like with dead rubber fixtures, except for Jackie Oatley, Sunderland away uh, at the end of the championship <laughs> season. Do you remember Ooh, when oh, yes. Will, Will Norris started in goal, Harry Burgoyne came off the bench for in the second half, Roderick Moran was brought back from the dead to play as central defence. Um, that was a crazy game where they were trying to get 100 points to finish championship season, but they didn't. And Gibbs White started as well that day. I think he started in a false nine. So um, that's one of few games that he's been able to Yeah, but to the experiment. players were all still sozzled from the celebrations during the week. They admitted that afterwards. So maybe as, he just as, picked as, the only sober 11, or maybe they weren't were, all still sober. As were the journalists, I must say. Um, <laughs> Tell from your but, writing. Um, <laughs> But, um, <laughs> very good. We haven't had many opportunities for that. I mean, do you remember that Fulham game at home at the end of the uh, first Premier League season when he brought on Will Norris with 20 seconds to go and <laughs> Max Kilman for, with 20 seconds to go? Both made their Premier League debuts, which was just bizarre. We'll see. There are lots of players who are itching to play. Nuno said after the Sheffield United game that, that, that he wants to see more from them to try and earn their place in the team. But in my opinion, the likes of Vettina and Gibbs-White, they can feel hard done by that they've barely featured for the last few months and I'd like to see them both in, in the team. 
in place of? Well, it depends what formation he's going to play, really. I mean, if you're playing Gibbs White, you want him in the 10. And maybe it is worth experimenting with one of them in central midfield. I don't think he trusts either of them defensively. As we saw with Vitinha for the under-21s, you know, he can play that role in a technical way when he's seen a lot lot of the ball. But can he do it from a defensive point of view? I mean, I don't think Nuno would trust him in that regard, but you don't know until you, until you give him a go, do you? So, Otisawi as well, another player I'd, I'd love to see more of. I completely understand why these players haven't been used, because they've had to get the results to stay in the Premier League. But now that's done and dusted. There's no reason not to, really, in my mind, especially when you're looking at who's going to be in your squad for next season. In terms of entertainment, it is going to be... 12 o'clock kickoff on BBC One on Sunday. So I can imagine the BBC broadcasters, if they followed Wolves all this season, hoping Nuno goes for a 4-2-3-1 and makes things a little bit more interesting. Because as we know, it tends to be more entertaining with four at the back, although it was a bit more pragmatic with that shape against Fulham at home, wasn't it? But he knows how good Burnley are at set pieces. He will want to be as solid as possible. But I'm thinking purely from an entertainment point of view, it'd be very interesting to see if he went 4-2-3-1 with somebody like Vitinha or Gibbs-White in the 10 behind William Jose, perhaps, especially the height against Burnley, although that is the team that Fabio Silva scored his first goal against from the penalty spot. It is, and we know exactly what we're going to get with Burnley. You know, you're asking for a free-flowing, open, creative game with lots of lots of skill and chances. <laughs> Um, you've already got one team that's not going to provide that. You know, we know that from Burnley. John Dice done an amazing job, but you're not you're not going to get that. You're going to play four four two. You're going to have two tough 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 guys up front. Ashley Barnes has caused balls, and Chris Wood. They both caused balls a lot of problems in the past. So you know what you're going to get. So as always, we say every single week. If Wolves get an early goal in the first half, then we can maybe see a bit of a different game. But they just they just don't do that. It infuriates me. But that would be the game changer, so to speak. Nine out of nine now that Wolves have not lost when they've scored first in the Premier League this season. It was seven out of seven a week ago. Now it's only nine out of nine. Very good stat. I like that. It's handy, isn't it? It it does Mm. prove a point, but it just takes them a little while to score that goal and a little bit of heartache before they get there, perhaps. Well, you mentioned about a goal. I mean, great that Jose got it and, you know, scored. he scored two and two now, in my mind, after that stupid, ridiculous VAR shoulder-based decision. And Traore as well, um, on a roll. Two assists and a goal in, in three matches. And the two that he set up, Dendonka's header against West Ham and now Jose's finish at the near post sort of proves for me that it's not been Traore's fault necessarily that he hasn't been getting assists because those runs to the near post for both those goals just haven't been there, let alone the finishes. So, um, I mean, Traore's just, we will take him for granted. But again, it's fabulous play and a, and a, and a great cross. Samedo and Aitnori were, were, were good for me as well for the second game in a row, both at wing back, and everyone else was fairly solid. But yeah, great for Jose and an interesting debate for Nuno now to see who, who plays up front for that final stretch. Um, because if Jose had goals in his game, he'd, he'd be looking at being a really good backup for Jimenez. But I think with the money they've spent on Silva, they'll, they'll want him to be more involved next season. So again, a chance for Silva to get some more minutes in, in the final six games. That was very good movement from Willian Jose for that goal. It does make you wonder why that movement wasn't there. We studied it quite closely uh, since he's joined Wolves as to those brilliant balls across the box, why that wasn't there. But I guess it's just a different way of playing to what he's used to. Maybe it just takes time and we know about how long it can take to adjust to a different league, different players. So maybe that patience has been key and Nuno has been patient with him and he's backed him and kept starting him. But before every game at the moment, there is still this clamour for Fabio Silva 
to start. Is it too simplistic, do you think? They've got the balance right at the moment. And I mentioned earlier that they're fifth in the form table since Arsenal at home. And that was Jose's home debut. Uh, I don't think that's any coincidence, really. He does such an important role in, in attack and defence. You know, he's so strong. He holds the ball up so well. He links the play very well. He's an excellent team player. Um, and Fabio Silva isn't an excellent team player at the moment. And that's nothing to do with his attitude or his willingness. He just hasn't got the, the tools to do the job. Um, certainly in terms of physicality. So that's why he's not starting at the moment. But I, I, I like the balance they've got, really. And I like Silva coming on for 20 minutes and giving it all and give, showing us that enthusiasm and, and making runs. And he could have scored against um, Sheffield United and arguably should have in a very similar position to his goal against West Ham. Again, great movement in the box, evades his defender and, and probably should have scored. So it's a pretty good dynamic. So Nuno might not want to change that, really. Um, if you're talking about getting ready for next season, then Fabio Silva's not going to be starting games next season, is he? It's still going to be Raul Jimenez, you know, we all hope. So Silva's role next season is going to be making a contribution off the bench in those last 20 minutes. So he's sort of perfecting that role at the moment. I spoke to Chris Uolumo, uh last week and he was saying how when Sam Vokes used to come on in the Championship, do you remember their Championship promotion season under Mick McCarthy, Vokes came on, I think it was like 30 times as a, sub, a substitute that season because you had Uwalumo and Ebanks Blake and Andy Keogh as your strikers and, and a young Vokes who just joined from Bournemouth at that time, very inexperienced and very young, was a perennial substitute but always did well, uh, particularly with his height in and around the box. And then when he started games, he just he barely contributed. And Uwalumo was saying kind of at, at that time of his career, Vokes was much better suited to be a substitute before he he he, um, he grew out and got and got more physical and got stronger, and became the player you know such an extremely successful player for 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 Burnley and and Wales over the years. So Silver's not going to be your target holdup man aged eighteen. He's just not. He's got to fill out physically, and that will take a few years. Yeah, he's not a, a lone centre forward, is he? As things stand at the moment, and he is still getting minutes off the bench. And William Jose, as you say. Yes, the offside, but realistically, he has scored two and two. And now's not the time you would think, facing Burnley, that he would be taking him out the side now that his confidence is surely higher than it has been at any stage in his brief Wolves career. So you'd probably expect him to start again. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Modern New View from The Athletic. And Tim, you wrote an article about Fabio Silva and Nelson Semedo and about how Wolves were never, ever expecting really to have immediate payback, particularly on the Silva deal. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think I wrote that at the time, the, the, the day he signed for £35 million, You know, it was very much being played down by Wolves in terms of his impact this season. But... I thought it was just time for a bit of a reassessment, really, of Semedo and Silva. They've been such talking points this season because of the price tag that comes with them. 
if you look at Wolves' previous sort of massive money transfer record breaking signings they've all been universally successful you know you go from Cavalero to Costa to Ruben Neves Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez all signings which broke the transfer record and all were sort of universally successful really uh, and they've either been sold on for a massive profit or will be one day or in Jimenez's case you know he's already paid back his 32 million with the goals he's, he's, he's scored but yeah you look at then um Samedo and Silva coming in in the summer, essentially £35 million a piece. Um, and there's sort of doubts over whether they were value for money, certainly, in the, in the opening months of their Wolves career. But what I think we've seen in the last two months, um, in Silva's case, and probably since the turn of the year in Samedo's case, is, is why that money has been spent and the potential for them to really contribute next season. Uh, Samedo, I've been impressed with his consistency. Um, his defenders got better his lapses of concentration have been cut down on. They've not been eradicated, but they've been cut down on. And if you look at the stats, he's fourth in the Premier League for tackles won by defenders, which is impressive. And no defender dribbles more than him, which shows you what he can offer Wolves in attack. And then as for Fabio Silva, um, his XG, which I know you're a massive fan of, Jackie Oatley, his XG is second in Europe's top five leagues, for teenagers so you can beat him with that stick and say he should have scored more or you can look at the way that I tend to in that he's getting in these fantastic positions and when he gets his confidence and when he gets his rhythm he'll be scoring a lot more so I, th- I think like I said after a difficult few months for the pair and you cannot forget the pandemic in this it must be so hard to, to move job and move country in a pandemic and yes I know they've got the Portuguese lads with them to help out but it's not the same at all. They can't mix. They can't have all these dinner parties that they love having normally. They can't go down to London every other every every spare day that they get off like they all seem to. All this has an impact on their performances on the field. I've absolutely no doubt about that. So taking all that into consideration, I think they're doing pretty well right now. And, and like I said, we're starting to see why that money was spent. And on the Semedo point of view, it was an interesting interview that um, a colleague did that, that went out worldwide. Semedo talking about the really big differences between playing for Barcelona and for Wolves in terms of the league. He said it's taking him time to get used to the league and, and people forget that. We just think, well, this bloke signed headline figure of 37 million, which is not and is unlikely to be in total. It's going to be 30 million plus and think he should hit the ground running. Just plonk him in and he'll just be better than Matt Doherty and compare apples with apples. Um, but it's not like that, is it? It is a very different league. He's just playing behind Lionel Messi. And one of the key points that he made was the fact that he's used to having the ball all the time. That's how he's used to playing. And playing for Wolves in the Premier League and with the way Wolves play in different league, etc., they've not had the ball all the time in the way that Barcelona are used to it. So, of course, it's going to take time to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Every single time... Nuno is asked about Nelson Semedo. He mentions the intensity and, and the pace of the Premier League. And he says how difficult it is and how it can take a while to get used to. And I think that's 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 been the primary thing behind his sort of um his mistakes really, which have blighted the early stages of his Wolves career. And it's hard for him because he's right in the spotlight and these sort of lapses in concentration, probably related to the speed of the game. And two seconds later it's a goal or a penalty. You've got to say he's cut, he's cut down on those. Like I said, it's, it's still there with the West Ham game. He sort, he sort of was at fault for one of the goals, but but he's improving. I think once he starts chipping in with goals and assists, which he's definitely definitely capable of, then he's going to be um, a real asset, hopefully. I, I, I can see that happening next season. Improvement's key, isn't it? And that's what we're seeing. So lots of hope for next season. 
Now, Wolves will have to manage without their bright spark from this season, Pedro Neto, until at least around October of next season, after the 21-year-old Portuguese player suffered a fractured kneecap. Tim, just tell us a little bit about the background to the injury itself. What actually happened? So he was um, he was competing for the ball with Anthony Robinson, and as he's trying to run away with the ball, he plants his foot on the floor. And I've I've gone back to watch the footage again, and as he he sort of he's sort of leaning at an angle of like like twenty thirty percent to his left, and then he plants his left foot on the floor at, at this awkward angle, and you could and you can see he immediately he immediately jumps. Um, as the pain kind of shoots up through him. Um, and it seems that this is when he's potentially suffered this uh, this injury. Now, um, I mean, just to sort of clear up, you know, Neto was obviously wearing strapping on his knee, on his left knee. And people saw this at the time because it, it was all over the TV coverage. And of course, Nuno's talked about the fact, and you mentioned, I remember you, you mentioned on Twitter, the fact that he's picked up this knee injury when playing for Portugal. And the uh, easy assumption is to say, oh, he's, he's injured his knee um, again and he shouldn't have been playing. I mean, he's broken his kneecap. I never here. said he shouldn't be and, playing, um, by the way. Just said he first injured no, his knee. No, not you. No, no, no. Playing no, no, for no. Portugal. Yeah. Absolutely. But that was the immediate accusation from fans was why the hell was Nuno playing him if he's injured his knee? Um, but yeah, he's, he's basically broken his kneecap. Um, and you don't. You don't play through a broken kneecap. Well, they actually to play on for like three or four minutes afterwards. I don't know how the adrenaline must just completely mask the pain. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's um, it just seems like a coincidence to me. Is is left? Maybe it's related to the fact that it's weaker. I'm I'm just talking, you know, gibberish here. Um, but the fact is, it's it's a completely fresh injury to the one he suffered when he was with Portugal. Wolves and Portugal were in very close communication as to what the extent of the injury was. He played 90 minutes against West Ham and was in full training as well in between the West Ham and Fulham games. So um, it just seems like a bit of a massive coincidence to me. Because like I said, he'd broken his kneecap, which um, which he, he, didn't, he didn't break his kneecap when he was playing for Portugal. So it's a very serious injury. Um... And rare as well. You don't you don't see many footballers suffer from it. The most obvious example that I can remember in recent years was Brit Sombolonga, who and uh, don't, don't, don't panic when I say this, but he was out for thirteen months. But his injury, people remember, he was absolutely flying for Forest and then suffered this this horrific injury and was out for thirteen months. But his was different. His his was immediate excruciating pain that he had to be stretched off. He couldn't walk. Um, and he had surgery within 12 hours, emergency surgery within 12 hours, and it sounded horrific injury. Now, Neto's is different. Like I said, for a start, he managed to play on for three or four minutes. Um, he was walking. I was, I was watching him walk off. He was sat near me in the stands at full time, celebrating. He was going mad. It was great. He was he was, he was, was up and cheering cheering the lads on when Traore scored his winner. So he wouldn't have felt like he'd broken his bloody kneecap at that time. So what that suggests to me is that the fracture isn't, isn't, isn't as bad as, as it could have been. He didn't have surgery that night or the next day. You know, um, he travelled back with the team, I think, um, and returned to London a few days later to have surgery. So that bodes well in terms of his recovery. Um, but we are still looking at a sizable um, period out. He's certainly going to miss the Euros, and it looks almost certain he's going to miss the start of next season as well. Um, rough estimates are six months, which which take us to October. It was a strange one. I watched it back just before this podcast, and he was clattered. On the other side, wasn't it? It was on his 
right leg that was actually challenged by Anthony Robinson. And he just pushed off with the other leg. It was so innocuous. And as you say, carried on playing. And he didn't really see much of the ball and he sort of jogged around a bit. But there was nothing evident. He wasn't limping as such, just just not sprinting. And then when Rui Patricio released the ball upfield, he sprinted and that's when he pulled up with nobody near him. So it's a very odd one. So it, it's a, is it a hairline fracture? Is it a I don't, I, a I don't, I don't know or, the specifics. Yeah. I don't know the specifics. Really, really odd one. My mum broke her kneecap on the ice rink once in South Africa when she was a student nurse because one of her colleagues thought it'd be hilarious to trip her up on an ice rink. And she spent three months in hospital with it all wired together, um, which was not a boatload of fun, but um, at least the technology and uh, medical science has moved on a great deal since then. But um, we wish him well. And it, it's it's just such a freak incident. And, um, and Wolves have to plan without him. And I wonder how that affects their summer planning now. Well, um, first of all, you got to say it's, it's devastating for him to miss the Euros. I mean, he, he, he just broken into the to the squad. I'm sure he would have gone. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, in, in, he's in this great moment at this fantastic season, certain to be going to the Euros, and that's been taken away from him. That's a crushing blow. Um, from Wolves' point of view, I mean, weirdly, it sort of eradicates the chances of him being sold this summer. Um, and if he'd gone, also if he'd gone to the Euros and lit up the Euros, then it would have been even harder to sort of keep him, you know, potentially. So from an extremely selfish point of view, um, that sort of that that threat is is lost. I, I, I would imagine. I can't imagine anyone signing a plane with a broken kneecap. But had you heard anything at all about the possibility of him being sold? No, no, not at all. And I don't think I don't think he would have wanted to leave either, to be honest. And I also don't think. Um, any club would have been willing to pay what Wolves would have wanted for him, judging on one good season, because that's all it's been. You know, that's not to doubt Nuttall's ability, but it's only one good season, and Wolves would want more than what they received for Jota, in my in my opinion or my estimation. And I don't think any club in a pandemic would be willing to pay what Wolves would demand after one good season. So um, no, I don't think I don't think it was realistic um, that he would have moved on this summer. But like I said, it's it's not going to happen now. Um, but yeah, the, the, the most frustrating thing about this is um, is not that he's going to miss the last seven games of this season because there's nothing to play for. It's that it's going to bleed over into next season. And you've already got um, your two players on your left flank missing the start of next season, Johnny and Neto. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real blow. And, um, you know, if... If Fernando Marcel was fit, then it would solve an awful lot of problems because you say he would just slot in for Johnny and, and maybe if they sign eight Nori. But no, that's been a problem position all season. Um, and now, and now, yeah, what are they going to do? Is it going to force their hand in the transfer market? I would say with two first-team players out for two or three months at least for the start of next season, then it probably will because um, I, Johnny Johnny will have to have a longer recuperation than six months, so I, I feel sure, um, this time around, which takes us to beyond October. And Neto, we don't know, roughly six months, but it could be longer. So I'd, I'd imagine um, that, yes, it, it, will, it will certainly change their thinking for the summer because they can't go in with no cover for the start of the season. And we don't know for sure about how Raul Jimenez is going to react to being back in first team action and heading footballs, etc. with the psychological potential. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Potential ramifications of that. So a lot of uncertainty from a Wolves point of view and the transfer window will be very, very interesting this summer. Next up for Wolves is Burnley at Molyneux in the Premier League on Sunday. That's a 12 o'clock kickoff live on BBC One, no less. Burnley are one place and six points above the relegation zone with a game in hand. Andy Jones writes about them for The Athletic. Andy joins us now. Hi, Andy. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being on. How would you describe the vibe at Burnley at the moment? It's it's an interesting one, really. You sort of look at the the form since they've come back from from the internationals and and it's three defeats in a row. But the general sense is it's not sort of certainly not panic stations or anything at the moment. I mean, generally at Burnley, there's there's always that that confidence and the belief in themselves. That's just the general culture that the children. Dice has installed in, in the club over a number of years. Um, so they're not panicking yet. And the performances have been pretty good. They've, there's been errors and, and mistakes, but I think there was a lot of positives to take from from the, uh, even though it was a, a defeat in the end against Manchester United, but, you know, but for a, you know, a big deflection for, for Mason Greenwood's goal, they could easily have, have taken a point from there. And so the, there is positive. So the, the mood's still pretty good at the moment. Um, and, and obviously they do, as you mentioned, still have that have that gap over Fulham and, and a game in hand as well. I'm sure the Newcastle defeat would have frightened a few Burnley fans, but given that Fulham aren't really picking up form and I think Burnley play both Fulham and Sheffield United in the last few weeks, is the general feeling that, that Burnley should be okay? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was I was delighted when I saw Eddie and Ketty put that one away. Um, I was nearly on the old Trafford pitch to be honest yesterday. But no, it, it is sort of that sense of Burnley will just you know be able to pick up enough points. And the Newcastle defeat was a bit of a, a shock to the system. I think it was more disappointing because of how dominant they were, and it was you know sort of a five six minute spell from St Maximum, which completely turned the game. But Sean Dyche was pretty happy with the performance and, and he did dominate. They just couldn't get the second goal. That would have made a big difference. But the Fulham game and the Sheffield United game were, were the other two sort of big red circles round as the games that you'd look at and think that's the, that's the games Burnley should and, and certainly they should win out of the ones they've got left. But equally, they've got they've got chances. Wolves, for example, I think they're unbeaten in four against Wolves. So... It's a type of team where they might be able to pick up a point, and and the same with sort of West Ham, who potentially shaking a little bit, and so there's opportunities there, and you just sort of expect Burnley to be able to accumulate enough points to to make sure that they are, they do get themselves over the line in the end. Um, talking of what to expect, I I I expect we all know what we're going to get from Burnley this weekend as well. I mean, four four two or or, or a four four one one. That was similar approach home and away with Burnley, isn't it? I was looking at the figures earlier. They've scored thirteen at home. They've scored thirteen away. And they've got eighteen points at home, fifteen points away. It's it, Wolves aren't going to get any surprises this weekend, are they? Not really in terms of general approach, but the decision Sean Dyche has got is whether he, he sort of goes four four two or he. he he changes to four five one, which is what he did at Old Trafford. He dropped Mate Vidza, which was a bit of a surprise because Vidza's been playing really well and, and arguably been in the best sort of form in his, his Burnley career. But he opted to go with a, an extra man in midfield and, and push Josh Brown in sort of a 
not necessarily a number ten role, but he was certainly the the highest you know midfielder in the team. It certainly gave Burnley a bit a, a lot more balance. They've been scoring goals in games, but also conceding it. I think it's not no clean sheet in seven now, which for Burnley is is quite a surprise. Um, it's it's the longest run since the twenty eighteen nineteen season. But equally, they are scoring goals, and they, you know they, they could have had a couple more against Manchester United. They were a threat. It was probably the most balanced they've looked as a, a in a four five one. So it's it'll be interesting to see if if. They stays with that, or he, he reverts back to to the tried and tested really. Um, so that that'll probably be the only thing. But generally, you know, they're gonna try and do the same things. They're gonna make it, you know, gonna be compact. They're gonna make it tight, and and then they're gonna look to, to to play long passes up to Chris Wood and and try and play from there and, and use the ball effectively and efficiently when they've got it. And they have three forwards who have played for West Brom. Any one of whom could score at Molyneux, oh, likely to score at Molyneux. Rodriguez, Vidra and Wood. Um, what would you say their weakness is? Because we know how strong they are in the air, but how can they be got at? From a Wolves perspective, if I'm looking at and I'm looking at Alan St. Maximan's performance very recently, from a burning perspective, I'm seeing flashes of Adam Sayori doing this or potentially having the ability to do the same things. Against United, they sort of sorted that out, but in recent weeks they have been a little bit more open in terms of sort of transition and, and the ability for the opposition to get between the defence and the midfield and, and create those transition opportunities. And, and that's the type of area where I'm sure Wolves will be hoping that Adam Chayori can can come into and, and pick the ball up and, and turn and run at the Burnley defence because that's when they can be exposed. If you're looking at sort of the weakness, it is trying to, trying to open them up in transition. And I think Chayori's caused Burnley a number of problems when he has played against them. And, and Wolves look to use him up against Charlie Taylor usually. Um, and he usually seems to have the beating of him. Um, or certainly does on, you know, throughout the game, gets a couple of opportunities where he gets one-on-one and beats him and puts a cross in. So I, I would imagine that's that's the that's the area Wolves would be looking to, to target. Thanks, Andy. Superb. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you joining us on the Molly New View. Cheers. Wolves women's excellent FA Cup run has sadly come to an end, but there was no shame in losing 5-2 against Blackburn Rovers from two divisions above them. And Rovers had not had their league season curtailed. Tim, you were there. Tell us more. Just a step too far, really. Some like ridiculous finishes from Blackburn. There was a 35-yard free kick into the top corner at one point. Absolutely stunning hit. Some of their opponents have got like professional contracts and Blackburn as a club, I think, are semi-pro. So it was always going to be massively difficult. I thought they conducted themselves extremely well. They were the better team for the opening 10 minutes, got the opening goal. It was just Blackburn's sort of superior finishing more than anything. It didn't feel like a 5-2 game to me. So yeah, they've done themselves proud anyway. It's been a fantastic end to the season. They've beaten two teams in, in the league above them. They've proved... Once and for all, not that they had to, that, that they should definitely be promoted at the end of May when the FA makes its decision as to whether to move them up. But yeah, it's just it's just been a great few weeks and the, the media coverage has been astonishingly good. Like streaming these three matches over the last three weeks, Mikey Burrows and Claire Hakeman have formed quite the duo. The coverage has been brilliant and they've engaged thousands of Wolves fans. It's fantastic. It's never been done with Wolves women before. I think it's, it's, it feels like a watershed moment, really, for me, in terms of engagement. And I really hope that continues next season at Tel on Sunday, Jeff Shee was there again, as was John Bowater, as was John Goff, you know, the two club directors with their families as well. It just shows you how far this club has come in a very short space of time 
and some common sense from the FA means that that journey can continue next season. Absolutely agree with you about the watershed moment and it's only going to get bigger and bigger at that club and I think we've seen on social media Wolves fans who hadn't really known anything about them before how they actually want to go along and start watching their matches next season which is really the start of it when fans start going along taking their families and buying merchandise and getting their little girls and little lads um, in the kit and knowing the names of the players etc and with the ambition crucially because with women's football it's all about ambition if you give them facilities they can fly and they've got a fantastic manager in charge well done Dan McNamara and also agree with you about great seeing Claire Hakeman being involved really enjoyed seeing her on Wolves TV at the weekend as well commenting on the men's game so uh, long may that continue well done to all of them for their achievements and we'll watch them with interest next season and beyond you've done an interview with Connor Ronan Tim how's he been getting on Ah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I had a great chat with Connor. Um, it'll be out at some point this week on just how he's getting on with grasshoppers. I find it, you know, a really fascinating story. Obviously, very close links with Wolves' owners and Wolves have sent five players on loan there this season. Renat Dadashov coming back injured, but yeah, they've got four there at the moment, including Leo Bonatini, Oscar Erasmussen, Totti Gomez and Conor Ronan. So um, great to chat to him about how, how hard it's been, again, moving abroad in a pandemic and what that's been like for him. Although, as he said, there are worse places to get locked down than, than beautiful Switzerland with its, uh, with its rolling <laughs> hills and beautiful lakes. He's not started as many games as I'm sure as he would have liked, but he's sort of forced his way more into the team second half of the season and he's having a good time. And 23 years old, he's got a four-year contract at Wolves, so he could potentially be at Wolves till he's 26, 27 and not played for the club for many, many years. I'm sure he just wants to kind of settle down now and, and have a and have a regular home, as it were. But yeah, there's lots more to come in that interview, which uh, which is out late this week. Hopefully people will enjoy reading it. Oh, absolutely. It's only five minutes, feels like, since his fantastic performance at Man City in the League Cup when Kevin De Bruyne asked to swap shirts with him in the tunnel. But a lot of potential there. But uh, best of luck to him. Look forward to reading that. Now, this time seven years ago, Tim... I remember it very well because I was about to give work birth. Um, Wolves had beaten Rotherham 6-4 en route to the League One title. And that precipitated early labour in Sainsbury's for me and both my children um, having the same birthday as a result. But it made me think about that season and what were you doing that time? Were you following Wolves' season ticket holder at the time? I was actually, yeah. I, I stuck with it in League One in, in the Steve Bullupper wasn't very happy. I remember being really, really close to giving up that season, to be honest. Really? So, so disillusioned with a double relegation. It really was kind of like, what is the point? I'm so annoyed with this really? team and this ownership. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've had a moment, you know, after Brighton away at the end of the championship season where I was like, you know what it's like, sod this. I'm not giving them my money next year. Um, but I did return, of course, as everybody does when they say they're not going to. And that League One season, yeah, it started off a bit like, oh God, the teams that were playing and uh, this is dreadful. But then as, as, as the season went on and the great team that Kenny Jackett and Kevin Thelwell put together, the records that they set... And some of the days out were brilliant. I remember Warsaw away, Port Vale away, the big 10K to MK, which I did a few weeks ago. I've written a few articles on, on this period, actually. Interviewed Kenny Jacket last year, did a whole piece on how they transformed the team and the club because it went from being rotten to being a, a club and a team that fans were proud of again. Um, and sort of culminating, really, as you say, in that ridiculous Rotherham game. And I've never been so upset to be sat in the upper tier of a stadium because all I wanted to do was run on the pitch like <laughs> everyone else um, before the final whistle had gone. Uh, it was an amazing scene. Sam Ricketts in 20-yarder. Oh, uh, brilliant. It was, it was just absolutely insane. No wonder you went into labour. 
and um, <laughs> and yeah, when um, when I was still working at the Express and Star, we had the Chuckle Brothers, and we're in Panto, I think, and they were paraded around the Express and Star offices as as all these as all the people in Panto used to be, and um, they spotted the wolf's scarf on my um, desk, and uh, we had a bit of a chat about the six about the six four. It's the most significant thing that's ever happened between Wolves and Rotherham, and uh, yeah, we had. And a they're Rotherham fans. Oh, sorry. They're, they're, yeah, so I should probably point that out, really. For people who don't know, Chuckle Brothers, um, yeah, massive Rotherham fans, although we've, I know we've, we've lost a brother in recent years, but um, mm. they were there for when George Mendes um, <laughs> was it was was in the in the director's box for that crazy game when Foson had just bought the club. We had a good chuckle about that one, as they would say. Yeah, what a season that was. Losing at home to Warsaw, by the way, earlier on in that campaign. So fans were upset at losing at home to West Brom in the Premier League, where they've secured safety, no problem, Wolves, that is. But they did lose at home to Warsaw. And then at Crawley, which was one of the very, very few games I managed to get to, because I was working crazy hours the entire season from down south, did get to Crawley away, took my husband, he was fuming. And I was telling him how great Wolves were that season. He was like, are you serious? They serve up this. He's like, this, why are you even supporting them? This is appalling, says the glory hunting man. United fan but um, but yes they did win it and the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's both my kids birthday this Tuesday 20th so the first one was born 10 years ago when Wolves were in the Premier League about to draw one all with Fulham and then of course the end of that season they lost to Blackburn on the final day but had just won two games 3-1 and uh, they just about did enough to stay up and I was getting told off at home for celebrating like mad when they just managed to squeak safety because the baby was sleeping but it just brings back such memories so so you need you need one more to tie with Antoine Griezmann because he's he's had three kids on the same day (laughs) it's incredible I mean people think it's unusual both my kids are born on the same date but he had three born on April the 8th in different years no twins it is incredible absolutely incredible but yes happy memories Thank you, Tim, and to Andy. And a reminder, you can get in touch with us on Twitter via at Tim Spears and at Jackie Oatley. Thanks to producer Steve Ted Hankey. And we'll be back next week to reflect on the Burnley game and whatever Tim has up his sleeve for the week. And you can read all of his Wolves news and in-depth analysis, as well as all the Athletics quality content by subscribing with a 40% discount. That's less than a pound a week for six months. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. The Athletic. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas, and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level, and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. 
By now, Team X were in the mood, and although striker A squandered a gilt-edge chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic.